Hello and welcome to the Food Safety Dish, a production brought to you by the Local Food Safety Collaborative. I'm your host, Catherine Kavanaugh. The Local Food Safety Collaborative is a cooperative initiative established between the National Farmers Union Foundation and the FDA with the goal of providing training, education, and technical assistance to local food producers to ensure good food safety practices and compliance with the Food Safety Modernization Act. National Farmers Union is a grassroots, farmer-driven organization that believes strong family agriculture is the basis for thriving communities. NFU's membership includes over 200,000 family farmers and ranchers across America. Farmers Union's grassroots structure promotes locally initiated policy priorities and educational topics established by their members. Learn more about National Farmers Union at www.nfu.org. Today, we'll be discussing the science of microbes, their risk and transmission vectors, as well as key concepts for growers to be aware of in the food safety realm. Going back to basics. I'm joined by Betsy Bin, a senior extension associate in the Department of Food Science at Cornell University. She is currently the director of the Produce Safety Alliance and the National Good Agricultural Practices GAPS program. The main focus of her research has focused on irrigation water quality used during fruit and vegetable production. Betsy's extension program aims to reduce microbial risks to fresh fruits and vegetables by developing engaging and effective educational materials developed through collaboration with growers, farm workers, produce industry personnel, students, teachers, and consumers. She is also the executive director of the Institute for Food Safety at Cornell University. Welcome to the podcast, Betsy. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you, Catherine. It's fantastic. I'm so excited. Um, it's a good end to a very productive day. Oh, yes. We should maybe mention that we had a steering committee meeting for our local food safety collaborative. So the ship or maybe the car or the train, whatever vehicle we are driving has been steered. We are we are on route. We have left the station. We're going to our next destination, which is... Um, the podcast. The podcast, exactly. <laughs> and we have arrived. We're having a great time. Maybe this is a high-speed rail train right. right to the future. Okay, let's get to it. So, Betsy, can you tell us, can you distinguish the difference between hazards and risks and tell us when does a risk become a hazard? So I think these terms, hazard and risks, are often used inter- interchangeably, mm-hmm. and um, and they're not the same thing. And I think that's the most important thing, is that there really is a difference between hazards and risks. If you look at how FDA uh, defines a hazard, it's defined as any biological, chemical, or physical agent that has the potential to cause injury. Mm-hmm. So that's hazard is very broad. Think mm-hmm. about that. There's lots of things. Right. Um, when you talk about a risk... Now you're talking about something that is sort of a combination of the probability of that occurring mm-hmm. and then the severity of mm-hmm. that. So you have a hazard, but right. if it's likely to occur and mm-hmm. it's likely to have severe consequences, then that's a risk. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you look at farms, which is, I, we should say that, we're really talking about fruit and vegetable mm-hmm. farms here today. When you look at farming, those hazards on farms, there's going to be hazards that are common, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be hazards from your inputs, from your water, from your soil amendments, mm-hmm. from your workers, um, because all of those things can transmit human pathogens to the fresh fruits and vegetables you're growing. But 
they're not all going to be risks, mm-hmm. right? And when you finally define what that risk is, then you're going to focus on reducing the risks. Mm-hmm. You cannot control all your hazards, right? Probably can't control all your risks, mm-hmm. but what you're going to want to focus on is what are the risks, mm-hmm. which hazards are likely to occur and mm-hmm. likely to cause severe illness. Mm-hmm. Those are your risks. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones you're going to want to focus on. Mm-hmm. What and where are some of the top risks on farm for growers to be aware of? Again, going to depend on the mm-hmm. farm, mm-hmm. right? So um, you have some farms that, let's say you're a farm and you have a lot of hand harvesting going on, which is very common, mm-hmm. but you don't train your workers. Mm-hmm. You don't provide toilet facilities yeah. and hand washing. That's facilities. risky business. That is risky. <laughs> Living on the edge. <laughs> that's risky business, yeah. right? Um, if you're a farm that's using raw manure and applying raw manure, say side dressing mm-hmm. raw manure right before you harvest the produce, which mm-hmm. we just talked about today in the meeting, right? You're going to get the likelihood of a heavy rain causing bounce from mm-hmm. the raw manure onto the plant, especially yeah. if it were, say, a leafy green, right? that would be an extremely high risk mm-hmm. thing to do. If you have a water source mm-hmm. that is uh, that you're using for, say, overhead application of water mm-hmm. while the harvestable portion of the crop is present, close to harvest, that is, say, under the influence of animals, mm-hmm. right? You have animals in the water, you have runoff from animal operations into the water, that would be very high risk. Mm-hmm. You're typically probably not going to see every bad thing I just outlined on a farm. Sure. But I think if growers aren't thinking about food safety, sometimes they're not looking at their operation and thinking about these right. things. And that's why it's really important that growers have food safety training mm-hmm. and um, have an idea of you know, what those risks are. Right. So would you say that it's not necessarily like types of produce that is risky, but it's rather the methods of of going about things that are risky? Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. certainly if you, you know, when we look at leafy greens, Mm -hmm. which have a lot of outbreaks, growing close to the ground, Mm -hmm. um, you're closer to the soil, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea of if if there's a heavy rain, again, one of those things we talked about today, right? If there's Mm -hmm. a heavy rain and you get a lot of... um, bounce up onto the crop Mm -hmm. and you have soil amendments, of course, that's going to be higher risk than Mm -hmm. say a tree crop Mm -hmm. where the water's not likely to bounce up and hit the tree crop. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really does come down to practices Mm -hmm. in the sense of, I don't think crops are riskier or less risky. There've been more outbreaks in some crops, but I think it's more due to the practices used producing those crops and then the crop itself. Sure. Would you say that a lot of times the outbreaks have very similar causes of the outbreak or it kind of depends again? It really depends yeah. if you look at the different outbreaks. So if we looked at, let's say, spinach or lettuce, would you say that a lot of those kinds of outbreaks are very similar or also depends? <laughs> well, when you see outbreaks in the same area year after year after mm-hmm. year, probably likely same causes, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But um, I would say, it's funny you pick spinach. I believe it was spinach. There was an outbreak years ago, I think it was shigella and spinach, that resulted from a sewer line that had broke. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. So uh, sort of a one-time occurrence. (laughs) It's not like your sewer line's busting all the time. Yeah, yeah. And 
and I'm pulling this out of my memory. It's a lot of years ago, mm-hmm. so I, I really hope it's finished in the shoreline. Yeah. <laughs> but, but in that instance, yeah. that's probably going to be a one-time occurrence. Mm-hmm. The sewer line will get fixed. You'll have the outbreak. You're not going to have that year right. after year. Hopefully. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I mean, not awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the people who got the Shigella probably not think not it was awesome. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Maintenance, <laughs> infrastructure, all the good things. Okay. So the, the FISMA produce safety rule and good agriculture practices, they typically focus on microbial risks. Can you talk about the types of germs that get on to fresh produce that are most common in outbreaks that we see? Right. Yeah. And, and the term germs is really interesting because one of the things we've been talking about, you know, trying to move people towards or, or talking about pathogens because germs is sort of nondescript, mm-hmm. right? And, and usually when we talk about microorganisms, I don't want everybody thinking all microorganisms are bad, mm-hmm. right? We right. use microorganisms to ferment food, right? Good microorganisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have microorganisms in our body that allow us to stay healthy and fight right. off other right. diseases, right. right? So it's not about all microorganisms sure. being bad. It's about certain types of microorganisms. Right. When we talk about fresh produce, we typically focus on bacteria, mm-hmm. viruses, and parasites. Mm-hmm. And the important thing for growers to know is those microorganisms, how they exist and persist on the farm mm-hmm. and multiply in different ways. Right. Right. So, um, you know, bacteria can multiply out in the environment, mm-hmm. give them the right temperatures, moisture, food, and, and they're going to make more of themselves mm-hmm. um, out in the environment. Where things like viruses, they mm. need to replicate in a host. Right. They need to take over the, the machinery of the cell to make mm. more of themselves. And parasites are interesting because they often have ways of cycling through specific hosts, mm. right? Um, and then they'll get in the environment where they then have to, you know, be ingested into a host and and make more of themselves. So what's important is for the growers to understand the differences so that when they're implementing practices they can put practices into place that limit the spread of, mm-hmm. of these particular human pathogens, mm-hmm. right? The bad microorganisms mm-hmm. that they're trying to control. That's very interesting. So where is that threshold between good and bad microorganisms? Is that is that like, I don't know, I, I'm so curious as to where, when do things start going wrong? Oh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thought. So, so there's good bacteria and there's Bad bacteria. Yeah. And, and like, who's like right on the edge of being good and bad? Like, well, you know, it's the ones, and, and again, so here's the interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of depends on who the person is, too. Oh, interesting. Right? So when you look at children under the age of five, sure. people who are immunocompromised, mm-hmm. people who have had organ transplants, so they're on immunosuppressive mm-hmm. drugs, um, maybe a healthy person could eat the same pathogen mm-hmm. and not get sick but if you're an immunocompromised mm. person you eat the same amount you know the same number mm-hmm. of cells the same number of viral mm. particles yeah you're going to get sick and maybe you're going to get even more sick mm. you know what i mean so it's yeah. not that's an interesting the way mm. i'm perceiving the question yeah. is you know it becomes an issue when it makes you sick right and people have different, different people different eating, thresholds for yeah, yeah eating the same amount of yeah. pathogens 
will have very different reactions. Very interesting. I guess that also makes me wonder, like, you know, a lot of these outbreaks will really affect old people, young, very young people, and then the immune people. Right. So is, is it something that, you know, as you are younger, you're exposed to more pathogens, and then you like develop a tolerance? Or is there also kind of a threshold of age or growth, I guess, that makes people less susceptible to those? So for this one, what I'm going to say is some of the published research Mm -hmm. is more on allergens. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was this study where if you're exposed to two dogs or two cats Mm -hmm. in the first year or two of your life, you're less likely to be allergic to these these animals. And and that's on allergens, not allergens. What I will say is if you know you're immunocompromised, Mm -hmm. you may want to choose to eat different foods. Mm -hmm. You know, when uh, my father is is no longer alive, but when he was sick, you know, I would tell my mom, like, you might want to cook these vegetables Mm. instead of feeding him in the raw state because you don't want him to get sick and he's immunocompromised. Mm -hmm. You know, cancer patients, Mm -hmm. maybe you don't want to feed them a lot of raw stuff that is high risk Mm -hmm. um, in terms of likelihood of being contaminated because their immune system's not up for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's something to maybe talk Mm, about is understanding when people are immunocompromised and um, and not feeding them things Mm. that could be contaminated. Similar to risk and hazard, I guess. Right. Yeah. And then when you think about fruits and vegetables, the, the risk with fresh fruits and vegetables comes from eating them in their raw state. Mm -hmm. Right. If you get contamination in the field or in the packing house or during harvest, that contamination isn't going to get washed off. Mm. Think about strawberries that are field packed. Mm. Okay. If somebody field packs a strawberry who has norovirus mm-hmm. and they contaminate the strawberry, those strawberries are field packed. Mm. And if you've ever been in a grocery store, you'll watch somebody give a small child a clamshell of strawberries and they'll yeah, eat, they eat it yeah. while they're shopping, right? Mm-hmm. They're not washing it before. They're not rinsing yeah. it under cool running yeah. water. They're not doing anything that might take off the dirt that maybe has mm-hmm. the viral particles on it or right. something, right? So that's kind of where I look at it mm-hmm. from, from that perspective. And every produce item can be cooked. Right. I mean, oh. people might be horrified when I say that, but Cooking the reality spray, is... Cook strawberries. Yeah, you cook, cook strawberries. You cook spinach, that? yeah. You cook spinach. You, you really can cook mm-hmm. stuff and still cooked enjoy grapes. it. Cooked grapes. Cooked grapes. In some cases, cooking it brings yeah. out different nutrient value. Oh, interesting. Increases the nutrient yeah. value. Huh. So it's not all bad. Yeah. So in your food safety exploration, you can discover different tastes and nutrition yes. profiles as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. That's cool. Do you have any examples that are exciting? Like tomatoes. Yeah. Saucing tomatoes, mm-hmm. you get different nutrients out of them. Right. Um, and other, other mm-hmm. culinary is not my strong suit. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at what you do. So. Um, <laughs> should say my husband does all the cooking nice. for family. So yeah. that was Everybody's specialization in, in yeah. trade, right? Yeah. So, so I guess when you're thinking about ways to minimize, let's say that we do have contaminated strawberries, is rinsing them enough to get off the pathogens? No. So if the pathogens are, are established, rinsing under cold water is not going to remove, mm-hmm. remove pathogens. Sure. Would cooking it though remove it? Depends on the pathogen maybe? Most cook, if you cook it, you're going to get rid of most of the microbial okay. risks. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, is that 
rinsing under cool running water is good because it oftentimes will remove soil particles mm. or other things where microorganisms could be attached. Mm -hmm. So it's a good step. But if it's truly attached mm -hmm. to the produce item, right. you're, you're not rinsing it off with cool running sure. water. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I yeah. mean, in their studies, they've done inoculations on, you know, on tomatoes and apples and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And yeah. if it's truly established on the produce item, rinsing under cool wa running water okay. isn't going to... Yeah. Some municipalities have residuals of chlorine, and mm. there, there might be mm -hmm. some slight reduction, but generally but you're not, not talking about yeah. that saving the day. So that's not our our prevention strategy is not washing our produce at home. <laughs> you just said a very important word, prevention. Mm -hmm. The whole point of good agricultural practices mm -hmm. is, is preventing contamination. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So thank you for bringing that word up because no, that's truly, that's truly the core. Mm -hmm. Preventing contamination yeah. is really where we want to go. Yeah. We're not talking about, oh, we're just going to do whatever we want, let it get contaminated right. and then we're going to try and rinse it off. Right. That is not where we're headed. Yeah. That's not the goal. Yeah. It's not efficient either to do that. No. <laughs> and it's way expensive too. So right. don't do that. Can you talk about some common misconceptions there are when it comes to foodborne microbes and illnesses, either with growers or with consumers? Yeah, so I think, have you ever had a foodborne illness? I don't know, maybe, of? maybe not, I can't tell. So, you know, people we will have, have poison, diarrhea sure. yeah. or vomiting, they'll be like, oh, it's, it's what I ate last yeah. night for dinner. Usually, you know, things like norovirus, you're talking a median onset of hmm. 36 hours. So it's okay. not what you had last night. It's a couple days ago. It's what you had maybe the night before. Yeah. And, and one of the things you had originally talked about was growers saying, you know, I've never made anybody sick. Mm -hmm. And when growers say this, I'm always like, how do you know that? Mm -hmm. What's, what A, what pathogen are we talking about? So mm -hmm. what do you think the onset of it is? And like mm -hmm. using norovirus as an example, Let's say um, you have a grower at a farmer's market mm -hmm. and um, and they're selling to maybe 50, 60 different families at the farmer's market. Right. Um, those families probably don't know each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's say in 36 hours, somebody starts projectile vomiting, mm -hmm. maybe has diarrhea, cramping, um, and they're pretty sick for about 12 hours, right? Mm -hmm. They're they're in the bathroom throwing 12 up. hours? Oh, okay. Not like continuously, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Yeah. No, with norovirus, you, that, yeah. I had it. Mm -hmm. You're going to be in there vomiting yeah. for about 12 hours until you're just dry heaving yourself oh. away. And then you might feel bad for a day or two. But if you're a healthy person, it's probably self-limiting. Yeah. You're probably not taking a sample of that and running off to the doctor. <laughs> True, not all of us. Yeah, it, right? You're going to be sick for a couple True. days. You're going to think, I got the flu. So just kind of guessing, I guess. You're just guessing. Would you think to yourself, I bet it's that produce I bought from that farmer 48 hours ago? I mean, who knows? Or, or 72 <laughs> because maybe you bought it and didn't eat it yeah. right away, right? And so when growers say, like, I've never made anybody sick, I'm mm. like, how do you prove that, right? And so the deal is, is norovirus is causes foodborne illness mm -hmm. outbreaks. Um, maybe you're shedding and you don't know you're shedding. Um, mm. Maybe you had it a while ago and you didn't realize that you could still shed particles after oh, you're done yeah. feeling bad. Sure. Um, and that's that's the key thing that's interesting. And again, I think consumers think it's what I ate last night. The growers think I never made anybody sick. But you have to understand a lot of the pieces here to actually mm -hmm. know. Now with traceability, we're getting better. But again, if 
it's all healthy people who bought your product. Mm-hmm. They're only sick for a day or two. The chances of them going to the hospital are low. Mm-hmm. The chances then that at the hospital, sure. they're going to do an analysis of fecal material to figure out what you've got. Mm-hmm. Also low. So sure. so when we talk about foodborne illness estimates, that's why they're estimates mm-hmm. because lots of they're people not get reported sick, usually. They don't report it or they mm-hmm. don't do the analysis to know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know. So there could be a lot more people getting sick that don't realize that they've had a foodborne illness. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Interesting. How long, I guess, are the different incubation periods for these some of these different Oh, highly variable. Yeah. So it could highly be like variable. anywhere from maybe what? 36 hours to a couple weeks for some or quicker than that. So when you look at the the types of foodborne illnesses, Mm -hmm. there's intoxications like food poisoning, Mm -hmm. there's infections and there's toxico infections and toxin mediated infections. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about poisonings, that can be immediate, very quick, very quick. You're eating it. You're, you know, then trying to get rid of it. Right. And then you look at things like listeria that Mm -hmm. can be like 30 days out. Yeah. And, and these really interesting ones that have really long yeah. incubation periods where trying to figure out where that came from, you know, then they have to ask people like, what brands of food do you hmm. eat? What types of food do you eat? Yeah. Because you're not going to remember what you ate 30 days ago. <laughs> yeah, probably Yeah, not. I mean, again, this is not the public health people who do surveys. Mm-hmm. It's not what I do, but a little bit about how they trace these things down, Mm -hmm. how you identify this is an outbreak, Mm -hmm. right? How you have certain numbers of people that get sick and now you know you have a problem, but now you're trying to figure out where the problem came from. Mm -hmm. But in terms of foodborne illnesses, big difference in ingestion, onset, length Mm -hmm. of illness, variable. Yeah. So I guess what you're saying is you can't really ever know if you never made anybody sick. No, you can't know. And having been involved in a foodborne illness outbreak, Mm -hmm. when I was initially sick, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. The only reason I figured it out is we all happened to get sick at the same meeting. Mm -hmm. And so we had, I knew these people. And this is a food safety thing too? Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of ironic. Yeah, very ironic. There have been several foodborne illness outbreaks at food safety meetings. It's like cosmic fate or like like a lesson or irony. some weird irony, yeah like yeah, cosmic irony. irony. Yeah. That is very strange. Are there any benefits of good food safety practices you find growers are surprised by? This is probably one of my favorite things to talk about. Mm-hmm. We I oftentimes refer to it as double smiley faces. Right? <laughs> um, super smile. Super smile because implementing food safety practices can have lots of good impacts Mm -hmm. on farms. And I'll give you a few examples. Mm -hmm. So um, if you manage your post-harvest water, so you add a sanitizer to reduce the risk of human pathogens, Mm -hmm. you're also reducing likely plant pathogens Mm -hmm. that impact shelf life, Mm -hmm. impact quality. So you're not only reducing food safety risks, Mm -hmm. you're benefiting your shelf life and your quality. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, When we teach growers how to do record keeping, right? We've had uh, especially small growers who sell the farm markets when we teach them about, you know, writing down what you took to the farmer's market, what sold, Mm -hmm. what you brought back, right? So for traceability, which lots got sold at what farmer's market, they tell us, oh, I also learned what sold best 
at mm. which market. And let's say when you're going to two or three different markets, mm-hmm. it turns out tomatoes sell better at this market and mm-hmm. cucumbers mm-hmm. sell better at this market. And so they've changed the quantity of product they take mm-hmm. to certain markets mm-hmm. because they've learned about their market. Right. They've also learned like how much money should be coming back from the market. Mm-hmm. Right. So benefits to the economic viability mm-hmm. of the farm, you know, so all of those things, there's lots of food safety practices and that we have direct feedback from growers mm-hmm. that really benefit other parts of their operation. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, which I think we're going to talk about at some point, is this establishing a food safety culture, mm-hmm. right? So what growers find is when they start to build a food safety culture on their farm, they realize that pays back in a lot mm-hmm. of different ways, Yeah, right? It not only is good for food safety, it's good for employee retention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's good for the environment at the farm, people's mm-hmm. happiness, feeling yeah. valued, feeling mm-hmm. like you have a voice, right. uh, better communication. Better communication is good for a lot. It's great for food safety. Yeah, it's like the key to life. (laughs) I found. Yeah, it's totally the key to life. So you find like, oh, you put these practices in place for food safety. Tons of other benefits come from it. Mm. Yeah. Now, maybe I can't quantify it to tons. Tons. But lots of other benefits. Numerous benefits. Numerous benefits. Food safety will change your life and everyone else's life. Right. That's what I think. I mean, we're by. Maybe we should just end there. (laughs) (laughs) Food safety is a game changer. (laughs) End of story. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Yeah. Are are there other food safety benefits that, you know, that you've even even been surprised by in your time working in food safety? I think what's interesting is sometimes it's unexpected things Mm -hmm. like um, for instance, I had uh, an operation that started up and was looking for local produce. Mm -hmm. Right. And they were, you know, asking me like, how do I find local producers? So we talked Mm -hmm. about, you know, getting on to food hubs, Mm -hmm. finding these lists of local producers. And then they were asking about food safety and how do you find ones um, that are, you know, that have food safety practices. Mm -hmm. And, Clearly, there's groups that when they audit people, they'll put them on a list. So you can look at the list and look at farms mm-hmm. that are on the audit list. But lots of farms have food safety practices in place that don't get audited. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I told this person, I said, you know, you can just call farms and, you know, if you're looking for a supply. And when they pick up the phone, just say, you know, what do you do for food safety? Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I think what you'll get is the folks that have food safety practices in place we'll be like, oh, this is what we do for food safety. Mm -hmm. They'll be quick to answer that question. We have a food safety plan. We're audited. We're not audited, but we have a plan. If you want to look at our plan. I said, but you're going to get farms that are... There, there's going to be a very long pause. Yeah. Right? A very long, like... What? Yeah. There's going to be a very long silent pause. And they're going to be like, um... What? Food safety? (laughs) And interestingly, I bumped into this person Mm -hmm. about a year later at a meeting. Yeah. And I inquired... And she told me that's exactly what happened. Mm. And some farms who have had training, who understand the value to the market, mm-hmm. they're on it. Right. Ask about food safety. They know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And that's, I think, an unexpected mm-hmm. thing. And sometimes 
markets are weird. Mm-hmm. Like that person just cold calling farms. Yeah. That's an odd thing. Yeah. Like not everyone is asking that question. Not everyone is asking that question, but that's interesting. And yeah. I think too, the other thing that I think is beneficial that comes out of it is I think food safety in some ways is very empowering. Mm. And for all the years I've been doing this, I am a firm believer in a written farm food safety plan Mm -hmm. because it helps the growers organize their Mm -hmm. thoughts, better use of time, better use of money, Mm -hmm. and probably most importantly, reduces their anxiety level Mm. about food safety practices. Mm -hmm. Because once it's written down, then it just sort of starts to move forward. And the most important thing about food safety for for growers that are maybe like listening to this podcast and like, I'm not sure this is for me. (laughs) The thing about food safety is it really is a journey. Mm. It's not a check mark. It's Mm -hmm. not a checklist. It's a increasing your knowledge about this idea of food safety, Mm -hmm. slowly incorporating it into your other practices. Farming is complex. Mm -hmm. Pest management, dealing with the weather, dealing with buyers, Mm -hmm. dealing with the market, Mm -hmm. dealing with different commodities or, I mean, different varieties, trying new things, right? It's a very complex thing farming is. So doing food safety is like one more thing. Right. You don't want it to be onerous. What you want to do is start the journey. Mm -hmm. How do I weave this into my practices in a way that makes sense to my farm, Mm -hmm. that fits what I'm trying to do with my farm, that benefits my farm? Mm -hmm. What are these double smiley faces? What are these benefits I'm going to get out of it? And slowly making that implementation, focusing on those biggest risks Mm -hmm. once you know what they are. Focus on the big ones mm-hmm. and then slowly work through the other ones. Right. Right. And and don't treat it like I got to do everything tomorrow. Right. If you go into it with that, you're probably not going to be successful because it's going to seem too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And again, that's getting back to the farm food safety plan. That's what allows you to say, like, look what I did this year. Right. This one I'm going to do next year. Yeah. And it also goes back to building this food safety culture we mm-hmm. were talking right. about earlier. Yeah, there's the security and just like having something that you can just fall back on easily and not have to, I guess, scramble every time. You're like, oh, what do I do about this? But it's like safety and security kind of like hand in hand there. I think it's not only safety and security, but it's, again, for think about this over 23 years. I've had a lot of conversations. And the thing is, is there will... There are growers where for every year I have the same conversation with them, mm-hmm. the same conversation. And those growers are the ones that aren't writing it down and aren't, oh, you know. They so need to be reminded because they have Every year because they didn't they write it. Yeah. Yes, because they didn't write it down. Whereas other growers who, who even start with this basic, I'm not, I'm not going to two-page food safety plan. Mm. I'm not talking, <laughs> seriously, I'm yeah. not talking like 30 pages of food. I'm right. talking two pages. Because then what happens is they go, oh, I got this done. Once mm-hmm. and they're making the steady progress forward as opposed to the folks that don't write it down, it's the same conversation every mm-hmm. year. And and that's why we years ago, like way back, started doing helping growers write their farm food safety plan because mm-hmm. we realized that's what's gonna move them forward, right? And, and again, doesn't have to be complex, doesn't yeah. have to be pages and pages yeah. and pages. It's yeah. just getting that journey started, right? And you can always fill it out later on because it's an ongoing lifelong 
enhancement. As they say. As they say. As they say with so many things, it's a living document, right? It's something you can't change. I think that leads us to our next question, which is, you know, what advice would you give to growers just beginning their food safety journey? Um, For growers, I guess there's two things here. One, if you're a grower who has not decided to start your food safety journey, I would just encourage you to engage in it. Mm -hmm. Understanding that it isn't meant to be overwhelming or this expectation that everything's going to happen at once. Mm -hmm. So for the growers who are like, should I think about food safety? You should absolutely think about food safety. Mm -hmm. For the growers that have just started their journey, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Yes. Yay. (laughs) Smiles. Yay. Um, Because hopefully you will be provided with help and mentorship that makes it clear what those benefits are. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, um, that's important. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important to, to thank the growers who are beginning their journey, Mm -hmm. right? Thanks for making safety a priority. That's a good way to look at it. It's, it's, it is really, because it's a choice, right? You have to make that choice. You have to make the first step, you know, that's what they say. Every journey begins with a single step. So no. And, and like we were talking earlier, Farming is very complex, mm-hmm. right? It's very difficult. Climate change, changing environments, changing markets. Lord help us, we just went through COVID, right? <laughs> it has not been an easy journey. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. It's mm-hmm. like, thanks for willing your willingness to take on one more thing that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I really do hope that the interactions you have with people will be beneficial such that they help you move through this process, mm-hmm. right? And they help you find out what are the three things you need to worry about mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Help you with that plan development. And of course, myself, Produce Safety Alliance, all these mm-hmm. colleagues, you know, we are here. That's important for people right. to recognize. There are lots of resources out there. There are tons of resources. And literally, you can call us on the phone, <laughs> right? We will pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. We will call you back. So that's what I would say to the to the growers that are just starting it. Mm-hmm. Thanks for putting this as a priority right. and, um, and let us help where we can. Yeah. And I'm sure too, like their eating community or the community that eats their food is probably also would love to know this and also say thank you as well. So <laughs> I think, you know, I'm not sure consumers would say that. I mean, maybe I feel like maybe this is cause I work in food safety now, but I like right. to think, you know, it's, it's a nice value added in many ways. And I, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I'd go with value added because if food isn't sure. safe, right? <laughs> that's fair. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure you that's can have true. quality food without safe food. That's fair. Yeah. But, um, but it's, Growers don't always have the pressure mm, mm-hmm. to think about food safety, sure. right? Depending on your market, right? But but I'm not sure it's high quality food if it's not safe food, mm. right? And mm. and I know we talked about that earlier. Like, yeah. well, I've never made anybody sick. Right. But do you really know that? And if right. and if you don't know, if you don't understand food safety, you've never had food safety education, mm-hmm. then you may not know the practices you're doing are risky. Mm-hmm. I, I many times. I don't even know how many times, many times I've had growers after training come up to me and say, I did not know that was so high risk, Mm. but I can do it a different way and reduce the risks. And some of them will say it's six one way, half dozen the other. I can do it either way. It doesn't cost me any more money. doesn't cost Mm. me any more time. I just didn't realize this had such a risk implication. Mm -hmm. And that tells me, that if people don't do the wrong thing because they want to increase their risks, 
Hmm. People do the wrong thing because they don't understand. Yeah, they just don't know usually. They don't I feel understand. like usually people wouldn't like consciously make those choices no. if they knew no. what they were doing. No, no, no. Farmers, I have never met a farmer who was like, I just want to. Can't wait for an outbreak. <laughs> exactly. No, they don't. And it's But the issue is if you don't know, you don't know. Right. Um, and it's a place where ignorance is not bliss. Hmm. Yeah. Normally, I ignorance would say, is risk. Is, there we go. You win. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a compliment. <laughs> Betsy Ben, PSA director. <laughs> Just told me I won. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Yay. Ignorance is risk. Yeah. That's very interesting. Feel free to use that as you I, will. I, I think I might steal that. All right. You you don't even have to steal it. I, okay. I give it to okay. you. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> So I guess on the other side of the coin or farther along the journey, what would you say or do you, would you have any advice to growers who maybe they have had really good food safety practices for a while now, but anything you would say to them? Keep on keeping on. Keep on it. And I, and I also hope that for those growers that, that have been doing it for a while, I really hope their food safety culture is well established mm-hmm. and that they've managed to see the benefits mm-hmm. of that food safety culture and the, the benefits of maintaining it and the effort that it takes. Mm-hmm. I hope it's definitely paid off for mm-hmm. them. It's, you know, when we went through COVID, mm-hmm. I think one of the most interesting things to me was to see growers who had food safety in place mm-hmm. like covid not foodborne illness just right. to be clear yeah not not, put, not passing covid through the food <laughs> not passing covid through the food but when the mandates state mandates for certain sanitation practices for worker training for distancing people for farms that had their farm food safety practices mm-hmm. in place they seem to transition much easier mm-hmm. and with less stress because they already knew how to train their workers, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. they had to just update the training. Right. They had to make it clear, right? Mm-hmm. They, they'd been through how to train yeah. adult learners, yeah. right? So when you train adult learners, you start to explain to people, this is why we need to have space. Mm-hmm. This is why we have to limit how many people are working in the pack shed. Right. This is why when we're transporting people, we have to change this. This is what the cleaning and sanitation look like, mm-hmm. right? Or the cleaning and disinfection. What's the difference between sanitizing and disinfecting? Right. And it was much easier to have those conversations mm-hmm. and get those practices in place yeah. on farms that already had food That's safety right. practices. Yeah. Because again, COVID not foodborne yeah. related, but the, the structure was yes there. it's like same same different you know like I guess it it sounds like if you have those kind of infrastructures in place that you are more adaptable to kind of when things can pop up than if you didn't have it and then you have to just start from ground zero or you're more resilient when things do arise so I think I think they are more resilient and they definitely showed easier transition mm-hmm. right whereas if you don't have anything in place, now you're worried about food safety and COVID. Right. And now it seems like you're juggling things are adding one on. more thing. Yeah. Yeah. You don't so, know that. So mm-hmm. make your life easy. Make a food safety plan. Right? We said it, food safety will change your life <laughs> continually. Again and again. The the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> so like the wellness is the gift that keeps on giving so is a gift that keeps on giving wellness is great um 
Yeah. And our fresh fruit and vegetable growers are a huge part yeah. of of societal wellness. It's true. Right? Eating fresh fruits and vegetables reduces your risks of certain cancers, reduces mm-hmm. your risk of heart disease. Yeah, preventing preventable diseases. Helps you maintain proper body weight. Mm-hmm. All of those things. And it's really important that we have widespread production mm-hmm. to make it accessible to right. everyone that needs fresh produce. Right. And everyone needs it. And everyone should have access to fresh produce that might be a different podcast yeah we'll have that for another topic but Mm -hmm. yeah access i mean yeah everyone should be able to eat the vegetables and fruits that they want and at a reasonable price i think you know Mm -hmm. just that's the world i want to live in more vegetables less foodborne disease and illnesses that's right that's right uh so do you you know, to conclude our podcast, do you have any other kind of final sentiments, advice, words of wisdom you'd like to share with people that might be listening to our podcast? I guess what I would would encourage people is just to engage, mm-hmm. engage with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever your reservation to engaging it is, mm-hmm. it is um, you know, reach out and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I truly mean it. I have email. I have phone. <laughs> um, because I think some some growers really hesitate mm-hmm. because they think it's going to be too much. Mm. They think it's going to be yeah. overwhelming. And um, I thought we had a, a grower come to our meeting today, Julian. And I think he just did a great job of you know, sharing his experience. Certainly Billy McCarthy Mm -hmm. was talking about his experience at training. And um, sometimes it's that energy of activation curve, right, Mm. from from chemistry. Sometimes it's really hard to go to that first training. Right. It's hard to convince yourself that this should be a priority. Mm -hmm. There's always something to do on the farm. So do you really want to take the time away to go to a training? Right. But I just would really encourage people to engage in it yeah. and um, and see what it's about mm-hmm. and, and think about how they can get it done on their farms because knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is power. And um, growers are independent business people. Mm-hmm. And the only way it's going to get done at the farm and packing house level mm-hmm. is if growers are committed to it yeah. um, because they make the decisions in their operations. And, um, and they have to, you know, engage in that. So go and take that training if you haven't done it yet. It's a lot of information, but, you know, very qualified trainers. It doesn't even have to be the training. Hmm. It doesn't even have to be the yeah. training. Again, as Julian, I'm going to give credit to Julian here. There's lots of educational materials mm-hmm. about looking at your farm, assessing mm-hmm. your farm, looking at risks. We have a yeah. decision tree. Hmm. You can just walk through the decision tree. You don't even have to go to a training. Sure. What I'm saying is engage with the idea of food safety. Hmm. If you've never thought about microbial food safety on hmm. your farm, mm-hmm. engage with the idea. Yeah. If you don't want to go to a training and you want to start by looking at websites and looking at what's available, mm-hmm. Produce Safety Alliance, National Good Agricultural Practices mm-hmm. Program, there's the regional centers. Right. There's tons of There's places. so much, there's so many resources. And of you. Yeah. What am I saying here? Um, local food safety collaborative. <laughs> We're cool too. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, you know, it doesn't even have to be a training. 
Yeah. But just engage with the idea yeah. of, of microbial food yes. safety and start the journey. Cultivate that culture. Cultivate the good culture. bacteria of, or maybe it's not a bacteria. It's a, what would you call like the idea of food safety as it inoculates in our yeah i mean you could call it good bacteria yeah. let it let it grow and let it let it ferment yes let it ferment in your brain a little we bit like those things um, but um it's it's really it's the great place to start and then um and again if if you start down that road and you need help you need assistance reach out to people because mm-hmm. uh, i think most of us in this gig uh, we're pretty passionate about what mm-hmm. we do, and uh, our focus is on helping growers get where they need to mm-hmm. be because we believe in fruit and vegetable production. We yes. believe in its importance and what it, how it benefits all of us. Mm-hmm. So we want to be, we want to be part of the good side of that. Yes, and I hope our listeners would be delighted to know that there are very passionate food safety professionals out there, and a lot of them are very funny too, which I think is a that's a value added for me. <laughs> so. Yeah, food safety. Small steps on a lifelong journey. Yeah. You know? Continual improvement. And and growers know that. Mm-hmm. Growers are adjusting every day. Mm-hmm. Adjusting to new things every day. And um and that's that's the key. Just get in there and and add it to add it to the list of things you do. I think the other thing to point out is a lot of growers are already doing food safety practices. Mm-hmm. They may not be couching it under food safety sure. practices, but it's important to know what you're doing, what steps are, where the risks are, mm-hmm. and what steps will reduce those risks. Delightful. Yes. Delightful. Well, thank you so much, Betsy, for being a part of our podcast. I'm glad I was finally able to get you beyond our podcast. It's been really wonderful to have you on as a guest, sharing all your knowledge and your wisdom and I love talking to you usually, so all the time, always. <laughs> I've always enjoyed our conversations. <laughs> usually. I like usually. usually. Like I think it's also maybe worth noting that Betsy had the idea of a food safety dish too for your work, but unfortunately that didn't quite pan out. Yeah, so. Get the other faculty to buy it. But so I was very supportive when you yeah. I love that. Yes. Um, but I really appreciate the opportunity. Addition on all things food safety. Addition on all things food safety. Yes. For sure. Thank you very much. Awesome. Yay. If you're interested in learning more about NFU and the work that we do, check out our website at www.nfu.org. And thank you to our sponsor. This podcast is supported by the Food and Drug Administration of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services as a part of a financial assistance award 2U01FD0069-01-03, totaling $1 million with 100% funding by FDA HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of nor an endorsement by FDA, HHS, or the U.S. government. I'm Kevin Cavanaugh, and this has been the Food Safety Dish. Until next time.